Hello and welcome to the Constructor Cast, your AGC place for all the news, views, and interviews relevant to your construction business. I'm your host, Leah Poconis. Everyone is using laptops, smartphones, and tablets on construction sites, and it generates a ton of electronically stored information. On our episode today, we want to educate you on what happens to your text messages and instant messages and chats and other electronic communications if your company's ever involved in a legal dispute. To help me do that, I have two guests with me today. Lauren Abeda, who's founder and chief operating officer for Construction Discovery Experts, and Kristen Protis, Vice President and Deputy General Counsel with Gilbane Building Company. Welcome to both of you. Thanks for being here today. So I want to give you each a chance just to say hello and tell us a little bit about yourselves before we jump into uh, the questions that I have for you. So Kristen, do you want to go first? Sure. Thanks, Leah. I have been with Gilbane now for almost nine years and have seen a huge explosion of usage of electronic communications and documentation and really excited to talk to you guys about that today. In my role with Gilbane, I'm in-house counsel, obviously support a large geography, so see a lot of different usages across various different projects of electronic information. And as I'm sure you can imagine with a company of Gilbane size that we also have had you know, some legal disputes that require discovery and, and we've worked with Lauren and others to help us produce our electronically stored information. So thought it would be really good to let you guys know what we've been seeing, at least on the general contractor side, uh, as far as electronic communications and some tips and tricks to kind of make sure that you guys aren't, aren't getting yourselves into trouble later down the road. Excellent. Thanks, Kristen. Lauren, you want to share a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. So I have been in the world of helping attorneys navigate this electronically stored information beast for about 16 years now. We live in this world. And more specifically, for about the past seven years, I've solely been doing it in construction. We started this company, Construction Discovery Experts, because communications on a project site are so prolific. And it's a massive beast to get your arms around. Really today, you know, I'm certainly not here to give a primer on e-discovery so people can keep listening. <laughs> Don't hang up. But, you know, we, we live in this and we definitely see the good, the bad, the ugly. And certainly after we finish up a case with a client, we do go to them and say, hey, these are some trouble spots. You know, you may want to incorporate this kind of thing into your training because you just hate to see a client has a really strong case, but internally they had some folks that are terrible electronic communicators. So to the extent that we can help folks avoid those pitfalls and just have a better understanding of what the process looks like and good training going forward, that's that's what we're here to do. All right, so let's jump right in because it sounds like you guys have a lot of great information to share. Kristen, you mentioned already the explosion of electronic communications as a way to communicate and document things on a construction project. Share with us what you're seeing on the front lines because you're in the thick of all of this day to day. Sure. Um, a couple of things that I want to touch on. You know, first, the purpose of this discussion is really not to focus on some things that are done electronically, like payment applications, progress photos, and other sort of 
formal electronic records, right? I think everybody kind of has an understanding what the rules of the road and the expectations are for those types of formal electronic documents. What we're really talking about today is, is the increase in use of informal ways of communicating. So you have text messages, you have Teams or, or other software that have instant messaging capabilities. You have photographs on your phone or your iPad, and maybe some of those are work-related photographs, but they're intermingled with personal photographs. You know, you've got the emojis and the GIFs, or the GIFs, I never say it right, and the memes that are embedded within these communications. How are those potentially transmitted and stored. The purpose of this conversation today, and I don't want the takeaway to be, oh my gosh, I'm never going to touch my cell phone again, is that we really need to be mindful of how formal or informally we may be communicating through these devices and through these means. We all recognize that they are fast and efficient ways of communication, and I think that's great, especially you know, construction is a very fast-paced industry. What we really want to focus on is sort of what are we using these devices for? How are we communicating? And what could some of the communications that we're making really result in from a perspective of a dispute? What you need to understand and what's really important takeaway here is that whatever you are using, whether it's text messages, photographs, group chats, Snapchat, instant messages, all of those types of things, if they relate to your project in any way, they become a formal project record. What you really need to be mindful of, and which is very scary for me as an in-house attorney for a large construction company, is what, what are we saying in these communications and how are they being construed? And Lauren, I know, has a lot of really good stats. I urge her to share them here about sort of the volume that we are seeing of, of text messages and chats and things of that nature because it goes without saying that these this is the primary way that we are communicating these days. And Kristen, to your point, on average, an employee sends and receives 211 electronic messages every day. So you can imagine for some of the more senior folks, they're probably in the 75 to 100, but there's some that are at 6 to 700. So now we extrapolate that out. There's a project that's gone on for three years. There's a claim. That could be upwards of three to five million electronic communications right off the bat. So there's a lot of data and, and it is a really big issue. So in light of that, I mean, this is happening frequently in many different modes. Kristen, are you advising your teams that they need to be aware that every communication they send is, as you have already said, becomes part of the project record. And it might be something that they're required to turn over if you're involved in some kind of construction dispute. Unfortunately, this is one of those things where I think probably most companies can do a lot better training their, their teams of, and, and it's usually a dispute that arises and everybody sort of is like, what do you mean I have to turn over my cell phone? Or what do you mean you guys can access my team's chats and instant messages? And I was talking to my friends about the baseball game last night and, you know, we were saying X, Y, and Z. Well, you know, all of that is potentially turned over. So I do think it is really critical that companies are training their individual employees and their groups of employees, you know, how to manage their electronic footprint, what comprises their electronic footprint, and how they can ensure that they are using them for effective, factual communication. And there are some obstacles and tricks, and I don't mean you know, tricks in the sense of a, a gotcha, but there are definitely 
some things, and I know Lauren will talk about it later, where you may be thinking you're doing something innocuous or you're doing something completely informally, and then you've got to kind of explain your way around it. And that explanation may not always make a lot of sense in the context of a dispute. So I cannot underscore the importance of training enough. They need to understand, you know, employees need to understand the implications of their written words, no matter the form that it's in. I also think that there needs to be training on the attorney-client privilege. I mean, that's a particular obvious benefit, I think, for me and my communications, right, that my teams understand when they're communicating with me, whether that may or may not be privileged. And then also, I think it's really important as part of the training that companies have a clear document retention policy, you know, and I'm not going to give advice as to what is appropriate or what is not, but if you have a policy that says your team's instant messages will be retained for a week, okay, well, that's a solid policy that then we can utilize in a discovery issue. Or if you've got your iPhone or your Samsung or, or Android device set up to automatically, you know, get rid of text messages within a certain period of time, you've got to make sure that that complies with your document retention policy. And so the training in this is multifaceted and simply cannot be understated. And it's something that I think companies really need to focus on as soon as possible because it is a potential minefield later on in project disputes. So I think sharing some examples would be really helpful to help folks wrap their arms around how this can raise concerns and cause problems. Lauren, I know we've talked about this previously and you've got some really great examples. I know Kristen does too. Let's hear some of the situations that you've seen come up with your clients. You know, we have war stories galore, I think, between Kristen and I. And what I'll say before, just to give folks who are listening an idea of what happens when there is a claim, here's the reality. We're in the United States. Employees don't own their data. Now, if you're over in Europe, we have a Spanish client. You would have to go to every individual employee who worked on that project and get their permission. That's not the case in the United States. So say there is a claim. Your emails, your instant messages, Teams chat, G chat, any of that, it gets collected without your knowledge and without your consent. And it's happening under your nose. So that's number one is... You are not in control of what happens to your message once you send it. Number two is whatever you wrote in that communication, it's now in the eyes of a reader, and that reader is not you. So you can't explain that context. You might have the opportunity to when you're in a deposition, but we would like to avoid that. And I think with so many younger folks really rising through the ranks, on construction projects, they had a phone in elementary school or junior high. And they're using, in their personal life, apps like Snapchat, Instagram Stories. They post it, it disappears, and it's in their quote-unquote control. Now they're using the same device, you know, the Android or the iPhone, to be communicating with people on a project. And that thought of, I am in control of this, it carries over. When in reality, they are not in control and you cannot explain the context of your message once it's out there. And you could have potentially given the other side absolute gold in their hands to prove their point. So I just wanted to mention that, Leah, as kind of a foundation as we get into these war stories, because a hundred times out of 100, someone sent a message thinking, oh, that's not what I meant. 
or it's subject to multiple interpretations, right? I mean, it's not it's not clear, it's vague, and you may think that you're being clear and it's received and perceived in a completely different way. That's exactly right. So I think Kristen and I could probably ping pong here with war stories. Yeah, please do. And that background was very <laughs> helpful. Thank you, Lauren. I promised you I wouldn't go deep into e-discovery. That's as deep as we're going. <laughs> okay, so here, here's an example. We found instant message chat between two employees for the general contractor saying, I don't care if they finish the job on time, we're not paying them. Now, the person who said this in a chat, they don't have the authority to decide who gets paid and doesn't get paid, but they were an employee whose data got collected. So you can just imagine what the other side did with that. Oh, totally. I mean, one of the things that I love is, you know, I was talking earlier about the attorney-client privilege and why it's near and dear to my heart, obviously, because I am an attorney and I'm constantly giving legal advice. But my favorite is when I see emails that come on and they say, you know, attorney-client privilege, attorney-client communication, privilege and confidential. And it will go through an entire analysis of where we are on a project and why we're behind or why a subcontractor is behind. And guess what? There's no attorney copied on the email or, you know, they're not asking for legal advice, but they think that this very detailed roadmap is privileged and confidential and protected from disclosure, but it's not. And, you know, to me, this one is just a little funny and makes me giggle because, you know, everybody jokes, I got my law degree on the back of a shredded wheat box, right? I mean, not me personally, but everybody kind of thinks they've got a lawyer in, in themselves. And so I'm like, you're not a lawyer. You can't claim the attorney-client privilege. Don't forget to copy your lawyer on your privilege and confidential messages. Yeah. And I will also say emojis have really entered the chat here. We had a client who got into trouble because on the site, which again, we like electronic communication. It's very fast. A sub had sent them a text message requesting a change. And the employee was just moving quickly and did the double tap thumbs up emoji. That's an approval. So not only, Kristen, to your point, is that text message a part of the project record? It caused a lot of problems. But then you're also encouraging subcontractors to completely bypass the change order policy that's in play for that project and just blast text messages and thumbs up back and forth. That can be really problematic. Another way that we've seen emojis is people using, you know, talking about a specific sub using racial slurs in their emojis. And that's not a reflection of the values of that general contractor. That's certainly not how they want to be portrayed out in the market. But emojis are a form of communication, again, that can be interpreted without you giving context. I think another one, you know, obviously without getting into too explicit detail, right, we see a lot of emails or text messages that have expletives in them that are, you know, used for emphasis. But you've got to think about, you know, you're going to potentially be in an issue where you may be deposed or you may have to go on a witness stand and you've got to address sort of your really gruff inappropriate, unprofessional communications in front of a judge and jury or in front of your external lawyers. And 
I understand that the nature of the industry is fast moving and it's frustrating and there are different ways that people try to motivate people. You know, I always like to tell my teams, I'd like you to be governed by if you were at Thanksgiving dinner and your email or your text message was put in front of your family members, would you be proud for it to be read? Would you be embarrassed? Would you be ashamed? And obviously, if it falls into the latter two categories, that's probably something that you shouldn't put in writing. And it's not something that you think about. And in the heat of the moment, maybe it feels good. But one of the things that I like to try to train our folks on is to take a minute, maybe type out that sort of gruff response or initial email, and then walk away, reread it. And if you still want to send it, okay, I mean, that's sort of up to you and your company and your business. But usually once the moment has passed, the inflamed emotions also subside and you can put a more reasonable, factual, uh, less emotional communication in place, which will serve you very well um, in the event of a dispute. You won't have potentially credibility issues. You won't have the embarrassment issues and you won't be potentially creating reputational issues with your company if, if your message and the content of your message doesn't really reflect the corporate values of your entity. Kristen, I love that, hey, let's stop and think because there is something really cathartic about blasting or, you know, furiously typing that email. And, you know, one of the things that we talk about in trainings is we've forgotten to pick up the phone. And picking up the phone, having that conversation, this is where email is a great tool for, all right, we talked, this is what we talked about, this is the follow-up, this is the action items, or whatever that is, where electronic communication is wonderful to keep the ball rolling, or to even have a paper trail, once the emotion has been removed. Great point. Yeah, these examples and you guys sharing your experiences and, and your insight, it's it's really, really helpful to just flesh out the do's and the don'ts. We've already started talking about some best practices. What else would you like to share in the way of best practices? I think the biggest one is think before you send, which I know I just touched on. We'd really like you to be factual, to be unemotional, to not overcommit inadvertently or purposely for something, right? You may not have authority to be binding your organization to what you're doing via text message, but you're not thinking about it because it's so easy to respond and fire off a quick reply or a quick message. I would also say one of the things, and and I think we talked about it and we forgot to touch on it, is there is no real distinction between personal and business devices. If you are using any device, whether it be personal or business, regardless of who pays for it, if you are using that device to conduct business, that business you are conducting becomes a project record. So if you have your own cell phone that you pay for and it's your personal cell phone and whether you have a business phone or not, but you commingle that personal cell phone for business purposes, you do not get to then say, oh, this is my phone, nobody can look at it, there's no data in here. That's not going to fly in the world of e-discovery. Unfortunately, it's going to have to be turned over. So, you know, if you think that you may be separating church and state by having a business cell phone and a personal cell phone, you really need to ensure that you are conducting zero business on the personal cell phone. Otherwise, you're opening that door to e-discovery as well. Kristen, I will say that is the number one pushback that we get when we do have to collect from devices. 
no, 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 no. This is, this is my phone. I've got texts with my buddies. No, no, no. This is my phone. You know what? I'll copy the texts that I think you may need and I'll send those to you. And that opposing counsel would have an absolute field day with that. It's not possible. So back to the training, don't open up Pandora's box and do business communications on a personal device. I think about back to that, taking the emotion out of it, this conflict resolution kind of communication. It's called BIF, brief, informational, friendly, firm. There's no emotion. It keeps the ball rolling. You know, it gave someone some information, but taking the subjective tone out of those communications is really your ally when it comes to communicating about a project. I also think this needs to be just in the regular lineup of training. People need to hear this over and over and over again. Kristen, I love your example of should it be read at Thanksgiving? I don't know. Depending on some people's family dynamics, that may be pretty fiery at Thanksgiving. <laughs> That's true. I might That's welcome true. that at my Thanksgiving. Would you get promoted or fired if people read your last communication? What would your kids say? What would your spouse say? It's the awareness and taking the emotion out of it and knowing you are not in control of this communication. Yeah, and I will just add to that, Lauren, I've got some people that I work with that have had the unfortunate experience of being deposed and their emails that they wish that they had never sent placed before them and asked to read aloud and to explain what they meant. And I'm talking about, you know, people where they were deposed decades ago, and it still burns, right? They're still not loving the fact that they were put in that position, right? And so it only takes one experience where your communications are used against you or embarrass you or embarrass your company to really learn the lesson. And so I think what I hope everybody gets out of this you know, discussion today is these are the steps that you need to start thinking about, but these are, this is just the beginning. It is a constant need for awareness. It is a constant gut check. It is a constant reminder for companies to be implementing, as you said, Lauren, regular training. And this issue is only going to continue to evolve as different types of communications uh, arise in the future. So this is definitely not the end on this topic at all whatsoever. But my two cents is that this is something that we are going to be talking about for a very long time. And, you know, do, do yourselves a favor now and start implementing sort of controls and, and best practices within your daily communication so that you are not like my coworkers who, you know, decades later are still regretting an email that they sent and, and sort of the uncomfortability of a deposition where it was placed in front of them. It, it's a real uh, event that you would like to avoid, I think. Absolutely. And, and you're right. It's just going to get bigger. And so within my firm, we like for people in technology to be working together. So on the people side, we want to be training. On the technology side, we have built artificial intelligence models that will crawl a data set to spot fiery language or really contentious conversations. Because, you know, like we said, on the smallest project where there's a claim, there's going to be a couple hundred thousand emails up to 30 or 40 million emails. So people and technology need to work together. 
And so from, from our standpoint, we're looking at, you know, developing specific tools that can help spot these kinds of communications early, but we really want to support and work on the general contractor side to, you know, bring examples, support their training initiatives, because as I said earlier, the folks who are coming up in the workforce are so reliant upon electronic communication. And we like that. They get things done quickly, really good about documentation. It's, it's knowing how to use it and where these things are going to end up. So Lauren, does your company actually help construction firms with the training and help them do some drills to just see what would be spotted if they were asked to turn communication over? Yes. Okay. So we do in-person training. We do virtual training. We use specific examples from the client or we will black out the person's name and things like that. But show very specific examples. We'll also show, you know, this communication. This was actually a result of that in court. I think people need to see that it's happening within their four walls versus, no, that doesn't happen with us. Um, Certainly one of my favorite things to do is go to someone in the crowd and just say, hey, can I have your phone? And I mean, the look on their face, it's telling. So privacy is a big deal. As Kristen said earlier, we want to separate our personal lives from our business lives. But these electronic communications, they are coming to play on every litigation or arbitration that your company is involved in. Kristen, anything else that you want to share on the training side, just for a a construction firm who maybe hasn't incorporated this into their routine trainings, like how to get started? Yeah, I'm sitting here thinking, oh my gosh, we've got to get out and, and start training more on these topics, right? I mean, we we have focused trainings for particular groups of folks, but I think we've probably been a little lax over the years in training, and we do a lot of lessons learned from an, a communication perspective after a dispute is resolved, sort of like what Lauren's talking about. And so I would just encourage companies to be more proactive with setting up a robust training program. I mean, you can do really quick sort of, we like to do them, we call them lunch and learns. It's a 30 minute, everybody, you know, sits around and eats their lunch while somebody's just talking through these types of issues. It does not have to be a formal training program. I think there are opportunities for a formal training program, but I think it's better and will be more well received if it just becomes part of sort of the everyday vernacular and everyday kind of reminders and that you, you are just constantly reminding folks. And to Lauren's point about, you know, hey, give me your phone and people wanting to be private, we've had to produce text messages in certain situations that people never expected that they were going to have to produce. And every single time they call me, they say, well, I wasn't going to put this in writing. I wanted to have this conversation with you on the phone. I didn't want to put it in a text message because they learned the hard way. And so I would just say, you know, to the companies out there, you know, maybe focus on not the reactive training, but the proactive training and take the opportunity to to look at what your policies are, spiff them up if they need to be spiffed up, and then start rolling out robust training plans, whether it's, you know, frequent lunch and learns, one longer training, you know, all it takes is one bad message to really leave a mark. Well said. Well said. You guys have both shared some really great, useful information. And again, I appreciate you sharing your personal stories because I think that's really helpful. 
Lauren, do you have anything else that you wanted to add? You know, there was something that Kristen mentioned earlier, and that is the document retention policy. I want to just, this is really the last thing that I want to mention. That document retention policy can be your best friend when you are in a dispute because you can point to the policy. So let's say the policy is we are going to delete text messages after 30 days as normal course of business. We are going to delete chat after seven days, normal course of business. We are going to keep email for blank. So this accomplishes two things. One, it's training your people to not rely upon what is an instant message as helpful project documentation. They need to put it in an email. They need to maybe draft a memo, whatever that is. It keep, we want to stay on the project server. We want to keep things, whether your company's using, you know, Procore, Newforma, SmartApp, Bluebeam, let's stay there, right? So it's driving behavior internally to stay off of those types of communications. But two, say you are in a dispute and the other side says, well, we want all of your text messages for the past three years you can point to your policy. So you're not having to go back and dig up people's you know, phones. Maybe some people have left or things like that. So putting the time and effort into creating a policy, the policy does not have to be 100 pages long. It can hit certain data types. What's our policy around these? This is what our company abides by. And probably speaking for a lot of the general contractors, in-house counsel and out, outside counsel, it's wonderful to point to. It's a tool in their tool belt to say, hey, we followed the rules and we don't have that data to produce to you. I'm glad you added that. Thank you for hitting that point home. That's really helpful. Kristen, any final words? Nope. I, I think I've, I've beaten my drum enough. Um, yeah. <laughs> I do I, I do wholeheartedly agree with Lauren's last point and appreciate that uh, clarification because it is really important that policy is, is very important. So if your company doesn't have one, get started on drafting one ASAP. Well, thank you both so much. You've shared great information. I've enjoyed the conversation. I've learned a lot. I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. We are going to include both of their information in the show notes. We may actually have some additional links that we can share too. So please check all that out. We want to thank everyone for listening. We appreciate you listening. This has been another episode of Constructor Cast. Please subscribe to Constructor Cast from your podcast app or stream all available episodes right from your computer at www.agc.org slash constructorcast. 